Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to Worship at Hillhead. It's a while since we have all been on Zoom, but it is good to see each other this morning. Today is our Harvest Thanksgiving service and our appeal for Operation Agri. During our service this morning, we will hear Bethany and Edith reading scripture. And shortly, Morag will light our candle for us. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yang Yang. This evening, also on Zoom only, is the second in a series of three reflections on the theme, Worship in a Digital Age. And I will be joined in leading that by the Reverend Jonathan Somerville and the Reverend Dr. Ruth Goldborn. Family news, just a brief reminder about the arrangements for Anne's funeral, which will take place next Saturday, the 15th of October. There'll be a service at 10.30 at Dalnotta, Clyde Bank Crematorium, which will be followed at 12.30 by a Thanksgiving service at Wellington Church. And we are all welcome to attend either or both of those services, which together comprise Anne's funeral. During the week, I have received a few offers from people who would be willing and able to provide transport to either of those services. So if you would like to go but need a lift, or if you are planning to go and have a spare seat in your car, if you would let me know, please, by email as soon as possible, I will do my best to match you up. Also look out for an email from me with details of the options for charitable donations in memory of Anne. And of course, we continue to hold Brian, Grace and their wider family in our thoughts and our prayers in this time of loss. If you were with us last week, you will remember that we shared the good news that Tamara's son, Ben, was home from hospital. Unfortunately, good news is in short supply at the moment, and Tamara has been in contact with me to say that now she, Hannah, Aaron and Ben have all tested positive for COVID. I did spot that Tamara has just joined us. Uh, Tamara is absolutely exhausted, so she has got her camera off this morning. But Tamara, thank you so much for joining us and please be assured of our thoughts and prayers for all of you. We do hope you all recover quickly and well. Next Sunday, we will be back into full hybrid mode, meeting on site and online at 11 o'clock. And again, in the evening, we will be meeting on Zoom and I will be leading both of those services. But now it is over to Morag to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join to become the body of Christ. Christ is a light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day. 
now let's come to God in prayer. We pray together and after I've led us in prayer, I will also continue in the Lord's Prayer. And of course, you're invited to join in that in whatever language and form feels the most natural for you. Let's pray together. God of all seasons, in this northern hemisphere autumn, as the hours of daylight diminish and the hours of darkness increase, we thank you that whether it is dark or light, you are with us, beside us and among us. As we can choose what to eat for breakfast, as we prepare a packed lunch or cook an evening meal, help us to take a moment to recognise our interconnectedness with other people and with the whole of creation. The people who plant, grow and harvest. The people who process and pack in farms or in factories. The people who deliver to shops and to homes. The people who work on checkouts in supermarkets or serve in cafes and restaurants. And beyond humankind, our connectedness with the bees and other pollinators, with the rivers and the rain clouds, the trees of the forest and the crops of the fields. This day, as we turn our thoughts to the work of Operation Agri and specific projects in Mozambique, may we be open to your spirit's leading, showing us how to support people far away and how we may live out the good news right here where we are. As your beloved children, hear us now as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
We're going now to see the video which Operation Agri have supplied for us. Operation Agri helps women grow vital vegetables with partner Oasis based near Beira, Mozambique, a bustling port with poor areas around it that suffered in cyclones and floods. Oasis works with women on health issues and forming savings clubs. I'm Paulo Bilu from Oasis, Mozambique. These people take part in savings groups, 65 groups in Manga neighborhood, and then the groups were giving training in agriculture. Now they are very resilient, planting crops for sale. The work has expanded to another district, helping more women's groups. This group rejoice and give thanks for all the help they are receiving. The project has brought in an agricultural advisor with Operation Agri support. So they have come for a training session and are keen to learn how to grow vegetables for market. <laughs> Oasis has land that the women can work on together. They are making a new seed bed, carefully measured out and raised so that they can reach across without trampling the soil. All done. Our community used to have children with malnutrition. We're learning a lot about how to grow vegetables in our group and we're also educating other groups about agriculture. So for all the help of this project, I thank you very much. The work continues, checking the crops and clearing weeds, plus the watering, a big task. As these lettuces grow, the women will harvest them and carry them to market. The market is very busy, the women put out their vegetables to sell. Many of them used to trade with produce they bought from other people, but now they sell crops they've grown themselves and make a much better profit. The women are also given seedlings to grow cabbage and other crops at home and the family gets involved in helping. We harvest crops, then sell some, and use the rest to feed the family. We save the money in our group. This helps us to be less dependent on our husbands. The money we saved can buy things that our children need in order to go to school. Life is not easy. When not at school, children often help mothers with essential tasks like getting water from a well. Some communities have the advantage of a pump. He says, I know how it works. I'd like to help. Oh, I give up. But whether well or pump, you still have to carry the water home, plus the baby, of course. Back home, it's time to prepare the meal. First, wash the cabbage then slice it up, not a bit is wasted, and add it to the stew. What the women produce is vital nutrition for the family diet, especially when many men lost work and income after cyclone damage and Covid shutdowns. We had two cyclones that destroyed the boats of the fishermen, so now we need to include help with fishing, involving the men. Paolo wants to help men develop fish farming in local ponds. Lorisian was among the first groups of women to be trained and now has a flourishing market garden business. She plants her seedlings well spaced for a healthy crop. Her lettuces sell well to bearer hotels and restaurants. One of the biggest benefits from marketing my garden produce was when one of my children finished high school and I was able to support him to go to university. So, seeing the profits from my crops, he chose to study agriculture. Success like that is a reason to celebrate.
reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes, each one of us does the work which the Lord gave him to do. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plant, but it was God who made the plant grow. The one who plants and the one who waters really do not matter. It is God who matters because he makes the plant grow. There is no difference between the one who plants and the one who waters. God will award each one according to the work each has done. For we are partners working together for God, and you are God's field. Romans chapter 12. Love must be completely sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another warmly as Christians and be eager to show respect for one another. Work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. Let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. Share your belongings with your needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers.
during the week if you live in the UK or Western Europe and if I happen to have your land address hopefully you received an envelope from me you might have already opened it and that's totally fine um, if you've managed to wait now is the moment in which you are invited to do so and as you open it up you can just um, take out all the things if you wish to and put them in front of you You'll find in there is a leaflet which gives you the information about this year's harvest appeal. You should find not a box of stock cubes, but a stock cube in a bag. They are vegetable stock cubes. And I forgot because I did this all in a bit of a hurry to include the allergy notice just to note that there is celery in those stock cubes. I will send this out information out later. But if you are, have a celery allergy, don't use those stock cubes. They are vegetable stock cubes. You also had something that looked like a tea bag, which was a little sachet of bouquet garb garni. That's mixed herbs. Uh, nothing there that should be of any allergic issues. I don't think, having checked it, certainly not in terms of common allergies. And probably a tiny weenie stone. Inside the leaflet, you will find there is an adaptation of Dolly Parton's recipe for stone soup. I know a lot of people here like a bit of Dolly, so why not use Dolly's stone soup recipe? I actually used the stone soup legend six years ago, I discovered this week, which was the very last harvest service we held before we moved out of our building in Cresswell Street. But it seemed right to revisit that story today. Often it is told as a moral tale in which the visitors come into a village where people seem to be selfish. It's like the, the villagers are selfish and they're not very kind to the stranger. Sometimes you have the stranger knocking on the door and being sent away. I'm not sure, though, that that is an entirely fair way to tell that story. Because usually in most versions of the story, it is set in a time of famine or sometimes in a time of war. The villagers are frightened. They're hiding inside their house. They don't know who this stranger might be. They probably haven't got much food and they've got it carefully stored away and they're eking it out to make very simple meals for themselves. Home is the safest place to be. And locking the doors gives a degree of sanctuary from the uncertainty of the outside world. So when the stranger, or in some versions of the story, a group of strangers, arrives at the village, it's very frightening. In fact, if it's a context of war, it'll be terrifying. Nobody is going to open the door and take them in, no matter how cold the night or how frail and hungry they seem to be. Why would you put yourself and those you love at risk. Why share what little you have with somebody who might steal from you or harm you? It seems to me that the current economic crisis, with fuel and food costs rising at an alarming rate, with residual uncertainty about yet another wave of COVID, to say nothing of wars, political unrest and climate chaos, feels like the same kind of a context as that story. As we try to find our own way through this, it's only natural that our first concern is for those closest to us. It's completely normal to shut the door, to hold on to what we've got and to become fearful, suspicious or even resentful of others, especially strangers. The stone soup story only works because those villagers are willing to take risks. First of all, their curiosity is aroused. What on earth is going on outside in the street? The stranger has built a fire. Somehow or other has collected water. Maybe there was a pond nearby. I don't know. It's a story. You can just kind of conjure water out of nowhere in a story, it seems put on a big pot of water and begins to boil it. And into it, he places a large 
stone. I wonder if there's anything that might be true like that for us. What do we notice when we look out of the metaphorical widows, perhaps into the video from Operation Agri, or what we see on the news? And if we see something, will we allow it to touch us, to move us? Because if we do, we might just have to respond in some way. And in the legend, that is in fact what happens. The people open their doors and begin to step outside and they listen to what's being said. And of course, again, because it's a story, it's said very loudly and very clearly and everybody can hear. And it's quite an entertaining story. It's quite comical. Little by little, people realise that there is one small thing they can do. One risk that they're willing to take one thing they're willing to lose. To lose. Yeah, I, I can give you a carrot, says one person. I can give you an onion, says another. A potato, a sprig of herbs, that small offcut of meat, and so it goes. But inside the story, that is really risky. Because in giving these things, however small, they can't know what's going to happen. They have to accept the possibility that the stranger will make this pot of soup and act totally selfishly. They will eat it all themselves. They will chase the people away. But something deep inside persuades those people that it's a risk worth taking. They set aside their fear and they give what they can. And that makes me wonder, what are the risks that I'm prepared to take or the risks that we are prepared to take? What is it that we're prepared to lose in the hope that what we give is life-giving to another? What might be the equivalent of a carrot handed to a stranger to do with as they wish? It might be a financial gift to Operation Agri. Or it might be something else, local, national or international. But we do so openly. Our gift could be accepted, it could be rejected. Hopefully it will be put to good use. But there's always the risk it won't be. The legend ends with a village of happy, reconnected people enjoying a delicious meal together. The air is full of laughter, bellies are full, hearts are warm. But then what? What happens next? If rather than closing the storybook, we could carry on. Does everybody go back home, lock the doors and carry on as they did before? Or is there a lasting change? And what happens to the stranger or strangers? Are they now friends of the people in the village? Do they make their home there? Do they go on somewhere else? Or are they actually chased away? Operation Agri suggested the first of the Bible readings that we heard this morning with its farming image, noting the importance of everybody's role within that. Over the many, many years I've been part of churches, it's been used time and time again as a kind of encouragement to weary, devout Christian workers to say that your little bit is not in vain. And just because you don't see new converts, you don't get new church members, there's no obvious sign of growth it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. And that is certainly true. It is certainly true. Just because things don't happen quickly or immediately or in spectacular ways doesn't mean that nothing is happening. We all have our little part to play. But there is that reality that we may not see the end result.
But I think you also need to read that, or I also need to read it in conjunction with other scriptures, such as the little bit we heard from the book of Romans that talks about the challenges of nurturing deep relationships, of church not being a place we go to, or even a thing we do, but who we are. And that's risky. It's risky because it means opening up to each other and sharing deeply, knowing that that could be misunderstood or rejected, knowing that we might be let down or hurt by other people and that they may let down or hurt us because we are all flawed and limited. For me, the real crunch of that Bible reading comes at the end where it says, share your belongings with your needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers. And I find myself wondering if that's the real message of the stone soup story. That hospitality, welcoming, sharing food, doing life, doing normal stuff is actually, if you like, prayer. As I've pondered those words, particularly in the book of the letter to the Romans, I've realised and recalled many ways in which I've seen them lived out in other people's lives. And I just want to tell you one story, one example of that. When I was a ministerial student, I did my fair share of pulpit supply. And very often that would be followed by that slightly awkward Sunday lunch with the church secretary and their partner, or the pulpit supply deacon and their partner. You know, you kind of sat around all minding your P's and Q's and it was a slightly cold room and not really great for anybody. But one day I was doing a preach at a church only about five miles from home. So there was no pre-arranged lunch with anybody. It was much more a case of your preach and off you go. And at the end of the service, one of the women from the church came up to me and said, you know, if you're free, you're very welcome to join me and my husband for, for lunch. It's, it's only soup, but you're very welcome. And I thought, you know what, that's lovely. I'll go round. And so I went round. Um, I drove following their car into which they had two or three other people they'd invited who didn't have cars, a young couple who were visiting and an overseas student who was part of their church. And we sat around their kitchen table and they got out the bread and the cheese and the cooked meats and served out huge steaming bowls of homemade soup. And she said, this is what we do on a Sunday. We make a big bowl, a big pot of soup on Saturday. And Sunday morning, we look around and think, who can we invite this week? And sometimes several people come. And sometimes nobody comes, but it doesn't matter. Because we like to do this, we feel this for us is what it means to be part of church. That was a costly choice by that couple. Costly practically in making the soup and buying the bread and the other bits and pieces. Costly in taking the risk of inviting people who might say no. Costly, I guess, potentially in that you had to eke out the soup a little bit further and have smaller bowls of it to go around everybody. But hospitality, welcoming others for them, was at the heart of their faith and was an act of prayer. Now, I don't think that is the only way to do hospitality. I don't think you have to have a home in which you can invite people. And I know for some people, home isn't a place into which other people can be invited for all kinds of reasons. And that's not what I'm saying. But it is about opening our hearts and our lives to each other, not just to the people that we're naturally friends with, but to other people who are part of our church community. As I've thought about it and as I've pondered the fact that we have this horrendous rise in fuel costs ahead of us, and the fact that I'm really blessed because as a church you pay my fuel bill so I can turn on the heat, I feel very convicted of God, and that's not the language I would normally use, but hey-ho, that's the way I feel. 
I'm going to open up the manse one Saturday a month for the next six months and make a pot of soup. And whoever comes, comes. And we'll have some bread and some soup. You don't have to talk to me. You can sit in my living room and watch TV. You can chat to each other, whatever. And that's a little bit risky. But I think the blessings are worth the risk. Hillhead has always prided itself on hospitality. And I know the last six and a bit years have been difficult as we try to work out how on earth do we do that without a home base? This is something we will continue to think about in the weeks and months ahead. But for now, you have a stock cube, you have a little sachet of herbs, and you even have a stone. Maybe you can make some stone soup. Maybe you can tell each other the story and think about what it means for you. Maybe you can share the soup with somebody. Maybe you'll do something else altogether. There isn't a right or a wrong response to this, except to do nothing. Because if we all go away this morning and say, well, that was very nice, Katrina. We like the story, but it doesn't make any difference. Then we haven't heard the story. My prayer today is that we will each continue to know the hospitality of God. The love that is shown to us through friends and strangers and which is found most profoundly in the Christ who shared meals with his friends and with strangers. Amen.
let's come to God with our prayers for others and for one another. Welcoming God, whose doors are always open and whose hospitality is unending, we bring you our prayers for the world of which we are part. Our prayers are clumsy, messy, incomplete. Yet we believe that you are pleased to hear them. Glad that we feel able to come to you just as we are. With Operation Agri, we give thanks for the work of Oasis Mozambique, working with local communities to empower women to grow vegetables, to help men to fish sustainably, or to find new work. Aware of their vulnerability to climate events such as floods and cyclones, we pray for these communities, that they will support each other in times of fear and loss. With BMS World Mission, we pray for our siblings in Christ whose service is expressed in places affected by war, persecution and environmental catastrophe. For us, this is a list of place names. But for you, these are your beloved children. So we pray for Ukraine, Chad, Afghanistan, Lebanon and Guinea. Particularly, we pray for forcibly displaced people, fleeing their homes and utterly dependent on the hospitality of others. With the Baptist Union of Scotland, we pray for our siblings in Christ in Open Baptist Church, Oxgangs Community Church, Paisley Central Baptist Church, and Peebles Baptist Church. Again, we know little of these communities, but know that you watch over them in love. We pray that as they seek to follow Jesus and to serve those around them, they will be motivated by your generous love and outrageous hospitality. As a community in Christ, called to walk together and to watch over one another, we pray especially for those named in our prayer diary this week. For all children and young people, and for those who care for and nurture them. For Tamara, Hannah, Aaron and Ben. Jenny and Richard. Neil and Faye, Graham L, Holly and George, Sheila, Heather, her daughters and her grandsons Kurt and Duncan, Stuart and Pirio. We continue to enfold in prayer those who mourn thinking especially of those known to us who are recently bereaved. Diane and Nigel, Roger and Janet, Dr Beth and Mary, Brian, Grace and Will. May they each know your love and ours in these days of sorrow and separation. And lastly, we pray for ourselves that, inspired by your spirit and following in the footsteps of Jesus, our lives may be fulfilling, generous and loving. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
to where you need us. Jesus, now lead on. From the security of what we know to the adventure of what you will reveal. Jesus, now lead on. From the uncertainty of what we face to the fullness of God's promises. Jesus, now lead on. To refashion the world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom. Jesus, now lead on. Because good things have been prepared by the God of love. Jesus, now lead on. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.